A judge ruled that Google Translate was a useful tool but inadequate for soliciting consent. The Spanish government plans to spend 1.6 billion or invest 1.6 billion euros into the audiovisual sector. And welcome to Slitterpot 91. Hi, Esther. Hey, Florian. How you doing? I'm well rested. I had one week of sunshine and I'm ready to catch up on, uh, you know, what happened in the industry. So brief you holiday. Did. Yeah, you did. You're away. I, I was away. I was in sunny Spain. It was beautiful. Forgot the, you know, how cool it is to travel. No, it wasn't cool, but, uh, you know, but anyway, it was a, it was a good, good vacation. Good to, uh, kind of get to practice Spanish a little bit again. Uh, feels yeah. like I forgot most of it, but looks like I haven't. All of it. So cool. Um, today, short episode, guestless episode, but nonetheless, you should stay tuned because we're going to talk about flooding and subtitles, Spain and media localization, MT quality impact on post editing and, uh, yeah, post editing MT, Transperfect's Q3, again, sharing their numbers. Thank you very much. And Google Translate and US police car searches. So mm. this is a news podcast, Esther. But yes. first, <laughs> housekeeping. Slitacon December. Well, it's not housekeeping. It's internal announcement, right? Uh, December 1st, open for registrations. Now, registrations are coming in. We got a great program. We got Uber, Subway, Canva, LanguageWire, Intento, E2F, and much, much more. Uh, so, you know, do check out the agenda and register early because you get the early bird discount. And, you know, we're going to get to the, uh, you know, but, uh, we get our 20, 250, 300, 350 Turn out again, on hop in, great for networking. So cool. Actually, some 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 industry conference are coming back. Uh, you know, yeah. kudos to uh, NTIF. Uh, they're they're doing their uh, uh, conference in um, in I actually don't recall the city, but it's in person, and you can book. So uh, anybody who's yeah, in the Nordics, yeah, people have been asking me if we're planning on doing a doing a in person event this year. Yeah, so I'm getting chased by a fly. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, we're, well, this year probably not, I think, mm. too busy, but maybe early next year. Let's see. Esther, tell us, why does flooding or water damage impact subtitling? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I did not know that this was a risk, uh, but yeah, once you dig into it, I suppose uh, it, it makes sense. But this is a story that came out of uh, here in the UK, which is a bit of an ongoing saga, it seems, uh, about subtitle services and various other uh, audio services that are being disrupted uh, at one of uh, the sort of major channels here in the UK. So Channel 4, uh, which many Many viewers would have heard of, but uh, yeah, one of the major channels here in, in the UK. Um, so there's been sub, uh, disruption to the subtitling and captions and audio description services on the channel since 25th of September. So this is going on mm. for, what's that, three weeks or no, nearly four weeks now. Um, and what happened on the 25th of September was that all services and associated channels went air, off air briefly. Uh, and the reason behind that was, uh, as you said, flooding, or as they put it, fire suppression system being triggered um, at one of the suppliers, so Red Bee Media, um, at their broadcast center. So this happened on a Saturday, Saturday 25th of September. Um, and yeah, apparently as a result of that, a lot of the, some of the hard disks on various systems at Red Bee were severely damaged. Uh, and a Apparently, this 
impacted the playout servers um, and that led to channels, various channels and on-demand services uh, being temporarily taken off air. Um, but what happened uh, also since then uh, is that they are unable to provide audio description, sign language and uh, subtitling services. Uh, and they said that this is irretrievably lost during the incident and we won't be able to restore them until we move to the new system that's being built. Um, yeah. So, yeah. A um, couple of lessons here. So sometimes when you go through these large RFPs and like they're asking these ridiculous kind of security questions, mm. there's a reason for that. I remember some of our big banking clients wanted us to like, they literally wanted to go and check like the temperature in the server room at the time. You know, yeah. no, of course not today. Maybe you got a lot more on the cloud, but if you still have on-prem, you know, they want to make sure you have everything, everything secure. Uh, you know, in this case, I don't know how that could have pre prevented what, so somebody, I don't know, set up the smoke alarm and the thing started to, the sprinkler started to, you know, flood, flood all the hard disks. Maybe it was but, I mean, the toaster. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was toaster. But yeah, I mean, the, the bigger things, I guess if, yeah, some of these uh, procurement kind of super detailed questions for outside, uh, you know, kind of, kind of tail risks uh, have, have, um, a grounding in reality because yeah here you know you have a supplier basically taking down a taking down a tv station so uh, yeah i mean the tv station is still running yeah, uh it's but, just obviously all of those services but i mean here in the uk what and i guess elsewhere when that happens i mean people are very quick to complain um, and rightly so i mean you know you've got people especially sort of deaf hard of hearing audiences who are unable to access quite a lot of content that they would otherwise you know, want to be enjoying and watching. So you've got the regulator that got involved that said they've got lots of complaints. Um, and yeah, obviously they're kind of working together, banding together to try to get things back up and running. Um, and it sounds like they're probably going to be s focusing on subtitles, getting that back up and running first. And they mm. said it's a complex job, a uh, large number of different systems at Channel 4, um, and that they've been testing kind of overnight because they didn't want to risk it all falling apart again. So maybe there's going to be a move to Spain in the cards for them, like me. Why? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm just taking, uh, yeah, I was just pausing for a minute to take that in. I was like, what, really? Would uh, Channel 4, would the UK? Uh, no, I guess not they Channel would, 4, maybe they the suppliers, you know? The yeah. supplier, yeah. But then I think this is definitely sort of an on-prem on-prem type solution for broadcast. Anyway, get it, uh, good, bad segue. Seg, good segue, <laughs> good segue, Florian, and I'll, I'll pick up on it before, cool. rather Thank than you. picking it apart. Um, yeah, so this uh, was another story that we ran this week about uh, Spain becoming, or as our title said, recasting itself as an audiovisual hub um, and what that means for you know, LSPs and media localization companies. Um, so yeah, interesting. I didn't know much about this, but I had a, a good read of the story that, that Seema wrote. Um, and it seems that even it's kind of going up to the highest levels with the Spanish prime minister, uh, you know, meeting with Apple CEO, Tim Cook and discussing, um, various plans around uh, the audiovisual sector. So uh, it was reported after that meeting that the Spanish government plans to spend 1.6 billion or invest 1.6 billion euros into the audiovisual sector uh, between now and 2025. And the aim here is to expand the industry in Spain uh, by 30%, so quite considerably over, uh, you know, two, three, three years. Um, I mean, overall, I think the, the sense is that, well, 
boosting that industry. So video production, um, all those kind of related filming and things, um, boosting that is really good for the economy, both public and private um, sector. Uh, but obviously it takes investment like, you know, Google investing, others as well. Um, and the Prime Minister said that Apple apparently was particularly interested in AI development, maybe unsurprisingly, um, AI development and TV production in Spain. Um, apparently they paid about 50 million um, to acquire a Barcelona-based company called Vilinks, Vilinks, something along those lines. Video links, um, video links, maybe. Mm -hmm. I'm right, Vilinks. Like, I mean, that's, yeah. I guess, the short form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Links. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, um, and so that company uh, develops AI technology that helps make video more searchable. So kind of the whole metadata searching stuff, um, which is quite interesting. Um, but, you know, you've got Apple already that's got uh, offices in Barcelona and they've got some uh, annotation analysts, various roles there. I think mostly working on Siri, but you know, kind of adjacent to this whole audiovisual production as well. Um, and then Netflix also um, got a production center in Madrid, which is their first in Europe, um, interestingly, which I didn't know. Um, and apparently they're really looking at that Madrid center as a base for um, you know, operations management. They could um, manage sort of other operations across other regions, you know, in, in the Zuck uh, region, Southern Europe, MENA. So they kind of planning on using that as a bit of a base to to really uh, I mean look after all of the operations quite quite broad reaching um, and Netflix has said um, as they are as we're emerging into the Spanish market there'll be a collection of corporate content and production functions focused on this region so it sounds like they might well be hiring quite aggressively um, in in the area so quite exciting um, for you know potentially also localization professionals um, as well um, and then on the localization side, uh, there are already, you know, a lot of LSPs, a lot of audiovisual specialists that are that are active and based in Spain. Um, so we pulled up a few different stats around that, you know, um, pros. I think this was quite an interesting one that um, Seema dug out. So pros has, I think, almost 30,000 linguists and LSPs based in Spain. Um, I mean, obviously, don't know who they are or, or what they do necessarily, but the point that I found interesting was that apparently Prose has introduced a video portfolio um, quite recently, about a year ago, um, that allows some linguists and also audiovisual translators to showcase their work. So you can upload you know, video stuff that you've done, subtitling or, or what, what have you. Uh, and then obviously you also had Transperfect that uh, when they did their kind of serial acquisitions of media localization providers in, I think it was 2019, they acquired a number of Spanish um, companies, so Lasso Studio and Sublime, uh, and Sublime uh, Subtitling, Sublime Subtitling. Yeah, so there's, it seems quite active, um, quite buoyant as well in terms of the, on the LSP side. Well, what's your take? No, I mean, look, it's going to be good for, I don't know what do you call it, like the ecosystem, but like the supplier ecosystem around. I mean, if they, if they boost that industry there and people start filming, producing there, doing post-production, obviously it's good for, for media localizers as well. Mm. And it's going to be good for, uh, you know, our friends over at Transperfect again, if they already have a, a strong, a strong hold on that, on that region. Then there was this whole thing around the, uh, Asociación de Traducción oh, yeah. de Adapción Audiovisual de España, uh, for that pushback. So what, what is it? The, uh, Atrae, right? They're called. Yeah. So the Audiovisual Translator Association, 
that pushed back against the alleged use of post-editing MT by the Netflix vendor for the Korean series Squid Game, which turns out to be now the most popular series ever or something, or at least number two. <laughs> yeah. We spoke about it last time, I think, briefly. Uh, yeah, just re read the story. They put out a, a statement. Um, I wonder if they really used MT for the subtitles. Sounds not very yeah. Netflixy, but who knows? Um, there was there was something that I heard uh, around um, that it, yeah that it was either auto generated or that it was somehow just based off the dubbing script. So that it it hadn't been given, and I don't know if this is verified, but it hadn't been given like a ton of sort of manual. Uh, attention or human attention for the subtitles it's it's ironic that this was the series that was the most successful series <laughs> so it didn't but hurt do you know what it didn't uh, hurt commercially right but so Florian, i have to say i did my yeah. research i did my research i watched squid game <laughs> so i watched squid game but i did not watch the dub version i watched the subtitled version and it was good. I mean, for me, it was good. I think I understood what was going on, or at least I, whatever story I was told through the subtitles was, it was very interesting. A uh, couple of things that I, I was like, hmm, is that, is that right? Um, you know, obviously not speaking Korean. Uh, I say, obviously, I don't speak Korean. Um, but yeah, a couple of things I was like, oh, I think they mean something else. Um, mm. But like very, only like really once or twice quite early on in the series. I mean, I would not have said, that was MT generated, certainly not in English, but I might be wrong. Or maybe MT for subtitles is super good. It's interesting. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's interesting that the, the, the series that, I mean, maybe it's just, it's because it's so successful, people like really drilled into the subtitles and it wouldn't have gotten, yeah. the subtitle issue wouldn't have gotten that attention uh, if it hadn't been that successful. So who knows? I'm going to watch it again. With the dub version, just for, you know, real thorough oh, research. I watched the dub version in English. It's just, I, I, I'm so not used to, I mean, did I say this last time? Sorry no, for anybody if I, I mentioned so. this, but I, I, if I watch anything that's dubbed, not in German, it's just, it's, I can't, it's, I can't, it's so oh, bad. It's just such a bad, <laughs> yeah. no, okay. I shouldn't say that. It's, it's an extremely unusual experience for me to watch something that's not dubbed into German. If I watch it in, mm. in German, it's fine. It's, you know, I grew up like that, so I can live with it. Did but you? It, that sometimes they were actually speaking English. So at, there are a few points huh. in the, which I was like, oh, you wouldn't necessarily understand that by, if you watch the dubbing. But there are a few points where some of the characters speak English. Um, yeah, But then you should dub over it because, I mean, otherwise the voice would change, right? So. Yeah, yeah. But it's nice to know that they're speaking a different language. Like it's, it's part of the story. Uh, it's almost, yeah, well, how would you do that? Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, that's where it's lost in translation. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, okay. Quick MT excursion, Memsource and <clears throat> Charles University in Prague. Um, they have um, run a study, and it, it's always hard to uh, summarize the whole study setup, the research setup in, in, in a podcast because, you mm. know, it's like a couple of pages and a research paper and it's, you know, balanced. You know, we'll, uh, we'll discuss MT research in much more detail in, in our next podcast, but basically uh, Memsource, Charles University, they were in a nutshell looking at how does the impact, how does machine translation quality uh, and, and impact the post-editing speed? Um, and, and they found, surprise, it's difficult to, to have to correlate the two. Um, and they had 30 professional English to check translators and translation reviewers. They looked at output from 13 empty engines. Um, 
variant. There was uh, or 13, 13 different outputs. There was a variant with no translation, so just looking at the source, and then the pre-existing reference translation, which was the reference. Uh, the cat tool was surprisingly memsource, uh, <laughs> since they were part of the, the study. They were the post editors and reviewers were instructed to correct mistranslations, inaccuracies, grammar style or style errors, but not really uh, do kind of any preferential changes, uh, mm. which uh, when I was a translator, I was doing a lot of preferential changes. Felt good about myself, but probably didn't improve the text too much. So four key findings, um, changes to raw MT um, did not, uh, take a lot more time than changes to post-edited content. Mm. Um, do you understand that? So basically, like, if you just edited raw MT, it wasn't significantly more time-consuming than just reviewing and making changes to post-edited content that was already post-edited by a human, right? Yeah. So raw MT, yeah. post-edited. Um, so basically, the, the post-editor didn't add very much. Apparently, uh, according to the editors, uh, you know, that, that's set up there. Translating from scratch was not significantly slower than post-editing in either of the two phases either. That That's super strange. Like, so, both, yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, that's maybe more the test setup. I hope that post-editing would be faster than, than translating from scratch. So that's, let's just put that in a separate box. So it was difficult to discern the exact impact of MT quality on the post-editing speed. I can imagine that. I mean, like... It, you know, empty quality is at that point where it's kind of so, it's so yeah. subjective. That but like, also you don't know before you start editing yeah. or post-editing, you don't know. So, you know, how do you know that you it's safe to kind of read or skim read? You don't because it Good might point. not be. And then one of the, uh, another interesting conclusion they had was professional translators and reviewers showed a clear preference for using even imprecise translation memory matches like 85 to 94% over empty output. Yeah. That is super interesting. That's not that surprising. 85 to 94 is quite a high match. It's quite high, but basically you're like implicitly relying on like, okay, most of this is okay because it was done by a human. So I'm not going to, like, I'm a real, I, I have a, a much higher trust. I'm probably not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to look for what's highlighted as, as, uh, as, as having changed, right? Yeah. So, yeah, for what it's worth, thank you mm -hmm. for the study. TransPerfect uh, closes in on that, you know, billion-dollar target. Phil Shaw just wants to be a billion-dollar company by the end of this year. This is clear. And, and you know, they bought... But it uh, probably will be. <laughs> they, they will be, and they bought Semantics, and they're definitely going to hit that, that target. But they're, they're also growing organically super fast. They grew like 24%, around 52 million uh, in a quarter. So they yeah. had quarterly revenues of $279 million this year. Uh, this is up like 31% uh, from the previous year. I mean, this is yeah. like, you know, this is like, yeah, this is not super agency level growth. This is super fast growth. Um, and interesting, and they had their best ever month for billings, as they call it, in September 2021, when they generated just about a little bit more than $100 million. So you annualize that, you get to a you know, $1.2 billion run rate. Um, and revenues for the nine months are at $777 million for the three quarters to September 30th. So they're going to hit $1 billion easily. And so basically it means that RWS would have to buy another pretty large LSP or some other company to exceed those revenues. Um, yeah. Mm. Well, and RWS is going to report soon. 
They're going to report soon. Because they report soon. to September, don't they? Their financial yeah. year ends in September, so we shall soon see. They're, they're probably less obsessed with uh, the billion dollars, but um, yeah. Well, because in pounds, it's not quite as uh, significant. It's like 725 True. pounds. It's like not quite a milestone. <laughs> True. Well, let's see what's going to happen on the exchange rate front mm, by yes, the end of the exciting. year. <laughs> um, and so uh, Phil Shaw, the CEO, he said that travel and hospitality was uh, one of the growth drivers. That's probably more U.S. linked, I'd say. I mean, in certain other parts of the world, some parts of Asia, slowly opening up, but it was still quite bad. Uh, but for them, it was good. And Global Link, you know, their kind of TMS technology uh, se section where standout drivers of growth in Q3. Uh, apparently, the Global Link attracted another 129 new clients in the quarter. That's 123 in Q2. So, yeah, and the whole technology revenues climbed nearly 40% year to date compared to 2020. And that's extremely high margin um, revenues. Yeah, yeah. this is very, very high margin. So, we're going to be super profitable uh, again this year. Quick story to, uh, before we move on to just a quick summary of our buyer report. Uh, interesting that there was a ruling in the U.S. where um, a judge ruled that Google Translate was a useful tool but inadequate for soliciting consent. What am I talking about? Well, police stops car, uh, notices driver doesn't speak English well, pulls out Google Translate, uh, the police officer that is, talks to the driver, driver appears to give consent for car search, drugs are found case ensues, uh, judge rules, hey, you can't use Google Translate to solicit consent. Um, turns out there's a couple of exceptions, so the driver was still um, still sentenced. But uh, interesting, all the comments from the judge who, you know, of course, is not like a language tech um, expert. and Probably not. No. <laughs> not at all, right? And it's, But he said, hey, it's a, they kept referring to it as an app, which I love. It's like they don't think of it as like a technology. It's just an app on the phone. Yeah. So, um it's a useful tool, but he, the judge said the, the app has an alarming capacity for miscommunication and error. He said that the app can facilitate basic communication, but does not, this does not make it an ad adequate method for soliciting consent. And then uh, also he said, the judge said, Google Translate and other smartphone translation apps are a relatively recent phenomenon and their use in the context of consent searches has only been analyzed in a handful of cases. So Looks like, mm. you know, he didn't want to set any precedence there. I smell a research paper. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There, yeah. And finally, uh, another good quote is the app need to fail only once to obviate the suspect's consent. Interesting. I, I find this super interesting. I mean, this is just, this goes so way beyond just Google Translate. Mm. I mean, AI as, you know, going deeper and deeper into, into our lives. And uh, in, in this case, you know, again, like, can you rely on it? I mean, in, in practice, probably when it comes to like- You would think so. That's quite yeah, but, basic, isn't it? It's, yeah, but when, you, when it comes to your legal rights, it's like, hey, you know, the app said something else. And it's just, it's so fundamental to mm. like human interaction uh, to mm. get to let these technologies, you know, get involved so deeply. In our lives, um, we got deeply involved into localization buyers' mindsets. So what do we have for them on our website? Yeah, so this is another research report that was well, our latest uh, that was published last week. So hopefully uh, some people will have seen it and uh, downloaded and purchased already. Um, 
But yeah, so it's the, the title is uh, Slater Pro Guide, Becoming an Effective Localization Buyer. Um, so yes, uh, definitely sort of looking more so at buy buyers and how buyers operate and, and best practice around that, but also relevant for language service providers who want uh, a bit of insight into yes. uh, the, psych the psyche um, of localization buyers. Um, you know, so lo lots, lots to unpack um, from that pro guide, um, but I'll give you some of the, some of the highlights. Uh, so we looked at, you know, how localization is becoming um, kind of ingrained into globalization strategies in different companies. There's this one, uh, one page um, roadmap that, that I, re that I really, really like. Yeah. yeah, I think it's kind of a lot of value packed into just one page. Um, you can probably keep coming back to again and again. Uh, but that looks at um, how organizations develop um, from kind of un, you know, undeveloped uh, into more mature localization buyers and some of the steps um, through, you know, supplier procurement, through MT automation and some of the QA things that you put in place to become more mature, looking at things like how ROI contributes to that. Um, so, yeah, really, um, I think, informative in in that one page. There's also five uh buyer case studies they're quite deep dive into um by different buyer case studies there across a couple of different sectors technology transport logistics e-commerce and professional services if you want a bit of um yeah insight into how buyers are operating in those areas we also looked at job roles and job titles so the most frequent titles um, per localization job role across different functions of the enterprise buyer um, and it's all nicely presented into a one-page word cloud, um, kind of looking at some of the most common across those different um, enterprise localization teams. Um, there's We looked at some of the key challenges for localization buyers and how people are approaching that. Uh, we looked at five key trends for localization buyers also. Um, and then it's kind of rounded off with uh, a very helpful index um, because as people might know, we've done a ton of buyer features over several years uh, with Slater. So we've indexed, um, I think, more than 90 of our buyer features um, to so people can easily access those as well as a reference. We need yeah, to hit 100. I know, saying more than 90 is not as uh, as great as saying uh, 100. Nearly yeah. 100. <laughs> it's also, we've, well, done we... <laughs> we've done nearly 100 podcasts now. We have, we have. Quite an achievement. Yes. Uh, and we'll do 92 next week with a guest. Yeah. So please. Um, cool. All right. Well, that was it for today. Thanks for listening in again. And, uh, you know, make sure to get your ticket for SlaterCon Remote and see you next week. See you soon. Bye.